when the NSA once listed as the most dangerous hacker in America, sure don't look like much. He travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyber terrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Good morning and welcome to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek, broadcasting out of AM 820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM 1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. Uh, certainly uh, hope you all stay safe uh, as Hurricane Irma comes inbound, um, you know, uh, you know do all you can to be safe out there physically uh but uh you know some interesting things that i've been tracking regarding that you know is, is certainly there's natural disasters they happen uh i think we talked last week or the week before about hurricane harvey uh and always after events like these there are people who try to take advantage uh, of generosity of charity set up fake websites uh to solicit donations or email or social media scams or, or gofundme or the various services out there that purport to raise money uh, for uh, people who have uh, experienced some loss uh, because of these events. Um, and it's been an ongoing tactic for at least a decade that I've seen. So uh, for those uh, who are listening to the podcast, you know, uh, or otherwise inclined to to donate or if there's any uh, any damage or uh, things that take place where, uh, you know, uh, generosity comes into play, uh, be on the lookout for that because uh, there's always people looking to exploit tragedy and exploit people's concern and goodwill to redirect money into their own pockets. Take uh, Definitely take a look at uh, Charity Navigator and GuideStar uh, and various things to vet whatever charities you're giving uh, to. Uh, go to known quantities that you know you've heard of before uh, and avoid giving out personal information, certainly. So, so be on the lookout for that next week after Hurricane Irma uh, has come and gone. Uh, but again, of course, be safe out there. Uh, and uh, like I said, hope you and your family stay safe in the upcoming storm. So uh, going to move on to uh, some cybersecurity news of the week. Uh, big news, again, going back to Russia and Russian election hacking, is that Facebook says uh, that they saw accounts linked to uh, Russian entities or what they thought were Russian entities buying Facebook ads uh, during the U.S. election. So uh, Facebook makes their money uh, by advertisers uh, basically buying advertising and targeting uh, individuals or classes of people. So if I wanted to sit there and buy Facebook ads to advertise this show, I could say, you know, my target demographic is, I don't know, 25-year-olds to 54-year-old uh, tech-savvy kind of people. I can pay uh, Facebook X a number of dollars to advertise our Facebook Facebook page or my web page or, or whatever, right? In this case, it was a, it was what Facebook says. Uh, people operated out of Russia uh, that, that purchased ads to uh, what they said is amplified divisive political message uh, messages. So. Certainly some tactics out there uh, to be aware of, um, all, all very interesting. But at a certain point, right, and I think I've made reference to this. Uh, what they were doing is inflaming already existing notions of people. Uh, you know, a lot of people had some preconceived notions of Hillary Clinton uh, and the Clinton family in general. So linking to stories and propaganda to 
otherwise inflame those perceptions. I'm not sure that it had much of a of an impact in terms of votes changed, but you know we we are still talking a lot about it. Um, uh, while this is being broadcast today, uh, I'm actually going to be in Des Moines uh, speaking at a conference called CornCon uh, that you know and and detailing how uh, an influence operation could work uh, that would change votes from people who wanted to vote for Hillary Clinton to vote for Donald Trump or, or vice versa, how you could actually use technology to get people to change their minds. And there are certain ways to do that. But an important takeaway is, right, in a social media era, and this has been true of the Internet generally, the Internet brought down the bar of anybody wanting to write something and put it on the Internet and get it distributed. The same is especially true with social media, that anybody can say anything and, you know, if they can find an audience for it, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, not that there are other entities that are, you know, false proof or fake proof, uh, but certainly in this era where anybody can basically publish anything they want for very nominal amounts of money, the need of uh, critical thinking, examining what you're reading and, and scrutinizing it, not taking things at face value. We talk a lot about fishing and malware and all these attacks of deception that get you uh, to uh, you know, compromise your own security. That uh, certainly is true for these influence operations that we talk about when uh, foreign governments want to sit there and influence the, the, the public. Uh, same kind of things, right? There might be subtle deceptions mixed with a lot of truth. Uh, just you know, be sure to, to critically examine what you read uh, you know, and forward. You know, be aware of things. Uh, you know, make some assessment of whether something's reputable or not. Um, if you're just tuning in, this is Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanak. Next story I wanted to cover uh, is uh, EU ministers, the European Union, uh, recently did a, uh, a cyber war exercise of what would be, uh, what would their response would be uh, if defense ministers had to contain a, a hacking crisis on a, a satellite military uh, post, right? So, um, you know, a lot of countries are focusing a lot of time on what to do about attacks on uh, critical resources of the military that take place in cyberspace. Uh, I know in, in weeks past we've talked about U.S. Cyber Command doing some offensive stuff. A lot of people are spending time doing defensive stuff, uh, and this took place actually in Estonia, where about 10 years ago, uh, as part of uh, tensions and uh, a conflict with Russia, there was a lot of hacking going on that significantly disrupted Estonian society. So uh, it's interesting they did it there, but the European Union, again, is training their country, uh, their countries to learn how to respond to what they call this cyber warfare, where a lot of time and effort is being focused on, uh, both offensively, as we've heard in weeks past, and defensively uh, with this kind of exercise. Which gives us a segue to the third story uh, I wanted to bring up is that, you know, there's been a reporting here, you know, of major firms saying that hackers are targeting U.S. energy companies. Uh, you know, one company uh, called Symantec, they make antivirus, uh, put out a new report that, uh, you know, hackers they name uh, Dragonfly have been able to influ uh, get inside energy sector computer networks uh, using malicious emails or watering attacks uh, to get inside. They link it to the Russian government, uh, but uh, no one's definitively said it's Russia. But, you know, a lot of these headlines are generated. It's certainly, uh, I, I say it's uh, something worth concern, but not necessarily worry yet. 
you know, why would Russian intelligence want to get into power grid? You can get all sorts of interesting intelligence. Or as I was talking to somebody earlier today, spies are going to spy. Uh, if they wanted to, right, or I should say if they chose to do things sabotage-like and turn off power grids or transformers and like, that would be a very different thing. Um, but the energy sector spent a lot of time uh, and is spending a lot of time in resources figuring out how to protect our power grid and those sources, uh, those systems from attacks uh, emanating from the Internet. Uh, most of the systems itself are isolated, but they're being controlled by computers that may have Internet access. So uh, we basically took all of these technology that was developed a while ago and said, hey, you know, we have a need to be able to see, hey, I want to know what this transformer 100 miles away from headquarters is doing. So I'm going to put a computer on it and put it on the cellular network or, or whatever. Uh, so a lot of things that were designed not to be interconnected are now interconnected. Uh, and we're dealing with the fallout of some of that, right? There's no uh, indication that anything malicious took place, uh, but certainly... You know, I don't know if I would like an uh, an unfriendly foreign government in my power grid either. Bear in mind, right, you know, adversaries are always trying to do this. There's been a lot of probing of the power grid. Uh, I don't think that necessarily means somebody's going to turn around and turn off our power grid in the near future. But it means we do have a lot of work to do as security professionals. Uh, and I'll come up, uh, we'll discuss this story more as it develops and more on attacks uh, on power grids uh, in future shows, I'm sure. So we're going to take a brief break. I'm going to bring on Chris Bing from our digital partner, Cyberscoop.com. He's got some good reporting coming out of East Asia. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. We will be right back. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. And welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Joining me now, Chris Bing from CyberScoop, our digital partner. You can find them at CyberScoop.com. Uh, welcome back to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me, John. Pleasure to be here. All right. This week, uh, you had a story that you were covering uh, about uh, Chinese hackers going after Vietnam and uh, some of the uh, difficulties uh, or uh, or tension that's happening in the South China e uh, Sea area. So, uh, tell us a little bit about it. You know, uh, you know what's going on down there. Yeah, absolutely. So, a number of uh, private sector cybersecurity companies have come out with research reports recently that tie a hacking group that has been previously attributed to China as sending a uh, barrage of phishing emails to Vietnamese government and, govern and um, private sector organizations. And so really the theme that we're seeing here is that uh, Chinese hackers are hoping to gather intelligence from these Vietnamese organizations, mm -hmm. and it's happening in the backdrop of a tense geopolitical situation in the South China Sea. A number of countries in the area, including the Philippines, Vietnam, China, Indonesia, each believe they have some sort of territorial right to this area, which is the uh, collection of resource-rich islands that sit in the middle yeah. of a very important trade route. So uh, this is another case of a government, it looks like, trying to collect intelligence by using hackers. Sure, and you know, I know we we've talked on the show, uh, right? The agreement the U.S. has with China, where China won't uh, hack our businesses to steal trade secrets, but that by no means means that China has stopped espionage, uh, both traditional espionage against us, but 
uh, tra- uh, espionage in their kind of sphere of influence uh, in East Asia and, uh, you know, the issue of island territories and, you know, China's territorial waterline, right, you know, have been been present for a good long time, including conflicts with us, but certainly uh, th- those conflicts are much more intense with, with their neighbors. Absolutely. Uh, just because the Obama administration, as you mentioned, and President Xi of China came to an agreement basically to uh, stop economic espionage against one another, certainly does not mean that China is not actively using malware to spy on its neighbors. Uh, the Chinese truly believe that this is an area of asymmetric warfare, mm-hmm. and they are making all the decisions to become stronger at it. So, uh, you know, if they're investing in it, uh, they're probably using it. No, and that's absolutely true. I want to say there's a few weeks ago we were, we were covering that they were uh, setting up uh, major cybersecurity institutions that, that they want to be world class. I want to say it's like five or six, you know, a large number, right. but they're they're a nation of a billion people, uh, and uh, you know, it will, will uh, as much as possible, you know, put people on problems and give them the training uh, and resources they need to uh, do what China needs them to do. Exactly. Uh, so. Uh, and I, oh, the, the organization in China that is uh, sort of known for this, just so the readers and, and listeners understand, is a, a, a federal organization known as the Strategic Support Force. And this is an uh, agency that only existed for about a year, uh, but it is essentially where China hosts its NSA. Uh, it does everything from sort of like satellite reconnaissance to what we understand as nation-state cyber espionage. Um, so definitely interesting times. No, no, certainly, and, and and we're going to see much, much more of that. And uh, you know, like I said as as kind of inside baseball, thought it was interesting. Three companies relatively at the same time reported on some of the same things. You know, that usually doesn't happen. FireEye usually comes out with their own stuff, and then everybody kind of runs after. I think no, that's a really good point, actually, John. I think, from my understanding, was that a lot of the evidence for this specific sort of like operation was picked up from Virus Total. And these three companies are, like, one's an Israeli company and the other two are U.S. companies. And so they all have sort of limited visibility into the Vietnam yeah. and Chinese technology uh, sectors. And so they legitimately, like, found this on Virus Total, And that's why their reports all coincide with one another. Well, and that kind of brings up an interesting point I think worth worth talking about. And I don't know if everybody uh, who listens to this program knows what VirusTotal is, but you can go there, VirusTotal.com. Uh, they have a little web uh, portal and an API that lets you submit files to scan against, is it 57, 59 AV engines? I forget what the precise number is. Yeah, right. Uh, but you... Part of the service they provide is that companies, including mine, uh, can pay money to get to be able to get information about uh, malware that's seen in the wild. So there has been a lot of very interesting things found on there. I did a presentation what a year and a half ago uh, about finding classified materials from the U.S. the U.S. military uh, encryption keys. You know, there's a company out there that mines it for usernames and passwords. Uh, I think you guys had a story a month month or so ago about uh, about things being found on Virus Total because uh, oh it was it was uh, the uh, I forget the name of the company uh, but was submitting a bunch of stuff to Virus Total. 
Uh, so yeah, Carbon Black. Yeah, Carbon Black. The name escaped me. But, um, you know, the, the, it's a security tool out there, and people think it's great. I mean, they let you know they do that, right? So it's it should be no secret. But people submit that stuff, uh, and then you have no idea where the data goes from there. But it provides exactly. – and the reason why companies like mine pay lots of money – to Google, a uh, virus total zone by Google, uh, for this is just because you can get a lot of intelligence without having to set up presences and relationships in places where uh, you'd really have to spend real resources to do it, like Vietnam. Once you submit information into virus total, it goes into sort of a public repository that's searchable. Mm-hmm. I know uh, some cybersecurity professionals who tell their clients not to submit some things to virus total because then it will become public. So you sort of have the functionality of learning from it's sort of like crowdsource knowledge where you get the understanding and information that everyone else is inputting but at the same time what you're inputting is not private so there is sort of a cost benefit with virus total and uh this case and this research sort of shows that a lot of companies are looking at virus total for samples yeah well no it's a, that's exactly it right the biggest problem you know and people say oh when when are computer security companies going to solve security when are we going to create an AV that'll detect an antivirus that'll detect everything the problem is is the attackers can buy our tools and scan their stuff against it you know we've got to otherwise detect it realize it's bad reverse engineer it and develop a signature so we're always days behind the bad guy and, and tools like virus total lets us get a little bit faster and say, hey, you know, there, there's some reason to suspect these class of files, uh, and it was just uploaded to virus total. Go do something about that. So, uh, a little bit of inside baseball, but relevant, right? It's, it's how we find these attacks of what's going on in Vietnam or in interesting places in the world. I mean, I don't speak Vietnamese, so there'd be no way uh, I'd be able to get anything out of Vietnam, uh, you know, and some of these other companies had the same problem. Yeah, it's surprising when you read a lot of these larger news stories and they reference research from some of these very notable cybersecurity companies, be it Symantec or FireEye, uh, the common thread there is that virus total is probably being used to pick up the samples that ultimately uh, allow for all of that research to occur. So a little bit of inside baseball, but at the same time, good knowledge. Yep, definitely. So uh, thank you for being on with us. Uh, we're going to have to take a short break. You've been listening to Chris Bing of Cyberscoop.com, our digital partner. Uh, go ahead, look for more of their great stuff. Thank you for being with us today, Chris. Thank you, John. All right, and stay tuned for more. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek, and we will be right back. Scan your computer, but don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Bambanek will be right back. Got a question on cybersecurity? I got a question! Ask Bambanek. Really? You sure about that? 
And welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanak. Coming up now, we're going to do a little bit of a social media segment before hopping into another story. If you want to ask questions of us, get your questions answered on the air, uh, you can connect with us on our website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com, on Facebook and Twitter, at Cybersec Radio, via email, Radio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com, or my personal Twitter account at Bambanek B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K uh, Laura asks uh, how can I tell if I'm uh, being sent a, a phishing campaign uh, trying to get fake uh, donations from Hurricane uh, Harvey and now Hurricane Irma uh, and how can I tell if I, I've been uh, been a victim uh, so uh, you know all of these things rely uh, to some degree on deception right by and large, uh, organiz- reputable organizations aren't going to send you email solic- solicitations unless they already have a relationship with you. You've signed up for their email list or whatever. So if you've never given money to the Red Cross before, odds are the Red Cross isn't going to send you an email message, right? So uh, those things will often include clickable links. They may say, hey, donate to our online thing here. Here's underline. Take your mouse over it or right-click on it to see where it points to. Uh, if it doesn't point to redcross.com, it points to Jimmy's going to steal your money. Are you or you know it's a phishing scam? Uh, uh, there are a lot of organizations uh, and and criminals out there in the wake of these kind of tragedies that will register new domains. Um, based on uh, the name of Hurricane Harvey or Irma. Uh, so there's tools out there to, to find them programmatically. That's how researchers uh, like myself find them. But, you know, you know, that might call himself the Hurricane Irma Relief Fund or something like that. Uh, but but clearly, right, something that uh, existed, you know, two days prior to an event is probably uh, probably not legitimate. But always, right, if you, know, you really want to be sure, go to GuideStar, go to Charity Navigator, you know, type in the name of the charity, verify their tax-exempt status, you know, see how they're spending your money and doing the research. Uh, better to stick with names you know. People have good reputations out there. So, uh, like I said, no one's going to be able to uh, protect your money and your donation if you don't take uh, some time to figure out who you're giving money to is reputable. Not just uh, that they might be a cyber criminal, but uh, there are charities out there that basically use events like this to make payroll, not to make people's lives better. So uh, certainly uh, keep those kind of things in mind. you know, as you go forward. And of course, you're going to see this in text messages and social media too, right? Not just to to talk about email. This could take place uh, really in any form uh, of communication out there. Uh, GoFundMe also. There, there's probably a handful of things going on on GoFundMe and, and some of these crowdfunding sites uh, that deal with uh, chari- charitable contributions. So, right, look, take a take a look. Be sure that your money is uh, is going to where you intend it to go. Uh, Tom asks, uh, I just saw on the news recently, Equifax, the credit reporting agency, uh, had a big security breach and potentially 143 million accounts have been accessed. What does this mean? Um, 143 million is, is suspiciously similar to the number of households in the entire United States. Uh, I don't know if we have great detail about what Equifax lost control over or how deep it was. They're kind of giving a maximum exposure, but it's not good. The credit reporting agencies have 
have all of your account numbers. They have your social security number. They have your employment history. Um, they have your payment history of bills. I, you know, if you've never run, uh, run a credit report on yourself, uh, you know, they have all of that stuff in, in unredacted form. So, I mean, if you're talking about financial identity theft, the credit agencies have everything, right? Up to and say, hey, you were 30 days late on a bill six years ago, right? Um, you know, so that data is there. Uh, now, that doesn't mean all of that data has been lost or in the hands of criminals, but it is potentially a very significant breach, right? None of us have directly consented uh, for any of these credit monitoring agencies to to have this much information, uh, this kind of implied consent, and you got a credit card, this, that, or the other thing, but they just have a ton of information. Oh, every address you've ever lived at, too, right? Or within 10 years. I've, I've, there's some time threshold for that. So a lot of information out there is potentially compromised. We're still in the very early phases of it, uh, of figuring out exactly what happened, right? It was only announced maybe a day and a half ago. So certainly we're going to pay attention to this story and let you know more. What you can do to protect yourself, um, time will tell. Pay attention to uh, your credit reports. To pay attention to your credit cards and your bank accounts. Uh, report those suspicious transactions, things that you didn't do uh, as quickly as you can to ensure that no loss has been had. Um, and, uh, you know, time will go on. This one will, this one will shift the paradigm somewhat. You know, we're used to dealing with stolen credit cards and health records. Stealing the credit report entire in its entirety, right, is a whole new level of, of problem. So uh, time will see how, how this plays out. But certainly pay attention to your accounts. Make sure uh, that you're reporting new accounts being opened and suspicious transactions so that you don't have to pay for them. Uh, that's our social media segment. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Did want to segue to one story uh, before we wrap on this segment. Uh, there is, a, many of you know, I work for a company, Fidela Cybersecurity, researching cybersecurity threats. Uh, and we publish those on uh, a blog that we have, uh, threatgeek.com. Uh, one of the articles you'll see on there, Emotet Evolution, the spreader gets in, uh, integrated, right, is a popular piece of malware that's used that we noticed that now uh, you know will spread on its own or have a spreading framework so that uh, instead of me uh, getting infected in one place and then trying to you know in a sequence get many people infected you know I can start leveraging those infected machines so that uh, I can use them to infect others right uh, but this software is a very modular kind of uh, a piece of malware it has lots of other pieces you can put into it, depending on what the person is trying to accomplish. So it's a very uh, interesting piece of malware, uh, and uh, you can read a lot of the technical details on uh, ThreatGeek.com, but it all comes down to the fact that criminals out there are spending real-time, real research and development in trying to uh, create tools to better steal your money, better steal your information, better compromise your privacy. So it is, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, a rat race that we spend of investigating new stuff uh, and then publishing it and creating rules or, or whatever we, you know whatever we have to do uh, to make sure that we can protect consumers, can protect our customers, uh, and protect uh, major institutions. So uh, good research in there. You know, it's a little technical. If you're technically minded, uh, maybe you'll find it interesting, maybe not. Uh, but certainly, I thought it was something worth pointing out uh, because you know the last few times on the show we've been talking about other companies' research. So I figured. 
figured it, it was a good time to talk about some uh, some stuff we're doing, right? So this is you know true criminal software, people out there trying to steal your money. Uh, so uh, some good information there. Take a look uh, if you're interested to hear more. So the last thing I wanted to bring up, right, is uh, October is uh, Computer Security Awareness uh, Month, right? It's where uh, we who work in security try to increase the overall awareness of how to be safe and secure online. Uh, so for, for October, I do want to uh, really focus on uh, getting some of your questions and what you want to know, what, you know, what you're confused about about security, what you're seeing out there, right? If there are things you're seeing, phishing emails or uh, interesting uh, malicious documents or, or whatever whatever, uh, please uh, go ahead, send them in, get in touch, you know, so that we can uh, tailor some of this stuff to actual threats you guys are seeing uh, to help you learn better how to protect yourself, your family, your small business uh, to stay safe online. So uh, stay tuned for that. But, get, you know, get in touch if you've got questions about malware or anything out there that you're seeing in the wild. So coming up on a break here, stay tuned. We've got some more great content for our last segment of the hour. Uh, you're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. I will be right back. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. We're back with Bambanek on cybersecurity. And welcome back. You've tuned in to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Joining me now is Jake Williams from Rendition Security. Uh, he's a, a longtime fellow security professional, uh, also teaches courses for the SANS Institute that uh, I've helped write a couple of courses with them. I don't know if we've ever actually met in, in, in Meet Space before, but we run in similar circles and wanted to bring him on uh, based on an article uh, he wrote uh, about Kaspersky. And I know it's a topic we've had on the show before uh, that uh, the U.S. government or specifically the intelligence community uh, has uh, is advising people to avoid Kaspersky. Um, because it is a Russian company, uh, it is its owner and CEO uh, is a uh, Russian uh, Russian citizen. Uh, so I wanted to join on, uh, have Jake on uh, to talk about that a little bit with us. So welcome to the program, Jake. Thanks, I appreciate it. Great to be here. Uh, so give us a little background. What exactly? is the U.S. government concerned about uh, that has them, uh, I don't know if I've ever recalled the intelligence community singling out a specific company for anything, but singling out this company saying, hey, this, th th if you put this antivirus in your company, you may be in, uh, endangering your networks. Yeah, what's going on there? Well, I mean, this, you're right. It is, uh, it is fairly unprecedented uh, for, for them to do so. Um, I think it's probably worth noting that, uh, you know, the intelligence community themselves uh, didn't exactly come forward with this explicitly uh, you know there was uh, the uh, the oversight uh, committee uh, asking questions uh, and one of the questions that was posed to some of the intelligence community chiefs were uh, would you trust us in your network and, and they effectively got uh, an emphatic no from everybody 
Uh, although if you go back and, you know, look at uh, some of the facial expressions, the question was asked, it's, uh, uh, it's quite clear it's something they didn't really want to talk about. No, and I think that's that that's some very interesting things, right? There's some personal uh, difficulties that this, uh, that this causes me. But the thing that I've noticed, yeah, I mean, you know, the genesis of your column was Senator Shaheen uh, and her op-ed in, uh, it was the Wall Street Journal or the Times? It was New York Times. Um, yeah, okay, so in the New York Times. Uh, but the hearing you were talking about, it was Senator Marco Rubio, uh, and it was kind of brought up out of the blue, uh, you know, it didn't really wasn't germane to the hearing, just said, oh, by the way, what do you think about uh, putting this antivirus in your network, which, um, you know, I don't know about you, anytime a U.S. senator starts talking about something that specific, I almost always think there's a lobbyist involved somewhere. <laughs> well, hey, whether it's a lobbyist or whether it's a uh, uh, lobbyist or, or, you know, based on some other briefing that they've had or or who knows? But but you're right. It wasn't germane to the uh, wasn't germane to the hearing at all. Uh, definitely, there was there was a motivating factor, and, and you know I think it, it would be interesting to know what that <clears throat> to know what that was specifically. Uh, you know as, as well. And, and again, this is all stuff that, that as yet has not been uh, not been disclosed to us. So I mean, what what has been disclosed, right? You know, uh, you know, uh, Eugene Kaspersky and the company itself is Russian. You know. Uh, what else have they said? I mean, okay, Eugene Kaspersky went to a computer science school run by either the KGB or the FSB, but they run all of them, right? So, sure. So, what is what 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 if anything have they said? Uh, are they hanging their hat on here? No, I mean, it, to my knowledge, uh, that's you know that's really it from a public standpoint. Um, you know, CyberScoop actually broke an article uh, or broke a story here uh, recently. Uh, talking about, I believe it was uh, Patrick uh, Howell and Neil uh, that broke the uh, story there with uh, <clears throat> some companies uh, being briefed in secret by the FBI. Right. Uh, companies that are, you know, U.S. companies that, that uh, work in uh, uh, basically what is critical infrastructure or whatever that may mm-hmm. use Kaspersky and basically briefing them on, on what's non-public information. Uh, trying to get them to change that, uh, you know, change their approach to securing their network. Right, and that's kind of interesting because until recently, I believe they withdrew the lawsuit. They uh, filed a, an antitrust lawsuit, uh, some cause of action against Microsoft. So there's been some settlement in that case uh, with Microsoft actually rolling back some of the, uh, you know, and, and not rolling back security, but, but rolling back some of the difficulties uh, that Kaspersky was, uh, was claiming. Uh, you know, if you delve into it, uh, really, they were making changes on the fly uh, with very little notice to uh, third-party uh, antivirus uh, providers like Kaspersky. And then, if these antivirus, uh, you know, uh, providers didn't, um, you know, change their systems quickly enough, uh, they would receive users would then receive messages saying that the antivirus is not compatible with Windows 10. Right. Uh, and in some cases, was even being uninstalled uh, without the users uninstalled or deactivated and replaced with Windows Defender without the user's knowledge. So, you know, Kaspersky, uh, Russian ownership or not, uh, cried foul. I think they were right in this case, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they've ultimately caused uh, Microsoft to, to change their tune. And this, this benefits, uh, honestly, consumers, one, and two, uh, every antivirus company, uh, a huge mm-hmm. number of which are, or a large number of which are U.S.-based. 
So. No, no, and that's that's definitely true. And like I said I, I I was there when this fight first started because about twice a year, there's conferences in Microsoft and they bring you know security professionals together for them, you know, and and one of those is specifically this is what we're doing with our new operating system and it's a very technical deep dive, right? But mm-hmm. irrelevant if you're creating an antivirus uh, software. So uh, you know not you know, not to go in great depth, but you know the AV companies realized what they were doing and how it would impact them and and it became very heated points uh during during that event sure sure and look uh you know this if you want to roll back historically even uh, you know as vista rolls out uh microsoft and blowing a patch card or kernel patch protection mm-hmm. which completely undercut the way that that antiviruses were you know were creating their uh, creating their products and uh you know they as of vista and, and a lot of end users you know have no reason to understand this in, in general uh and a lot of them as a result you know never been educated on this but Every antivirus manufacturer out there had to do a fundamental rewrite of their, you know, their code base uh, when Vista came out, yeah. right, in order to maintain, uh, in order to maintain compatibility. Um, you know, and so as we start rolling in, and, and look, uh, it's better for security, right? I'm not knocking Microsoft for making these changes. The changes that they made uh, w- were great from a standpoint of of ensuring security and, and, and beating up on uh, malicious software and rootkits. Uh, some of the same things that rootkits were using, so were antivirus, and they said, "Look, no more. Here you are. Who you are." You're not going to, we're, we're pulling these features or these loopholes, as it were, out of the operating system. But to have them turn around, uh, you know, that was done with, with years of advance notice, um, not, uh, not months of advance notice, as, as Kaspersky claimed in a couple of their, uh, couple of their allegations. So yeah. I, I get, you know, where, where the anti-competitiveness thing comes in, where they say, hey, look, you know, we've got, uh, Microsoft obviously has the insight of where they're going next. Uh, and, and that creates, again, an unfair advantage in that case uh, if they don't disclose that early. So. Anyway, I mean, yeah, it's Kaspersky one, and you know, kind of coming back to the Kaspersky thing, though, in general, um, I, I, I think it's, you know, I made the, made the argument in the op-ed that when it comes to Kaspersky, uh, you know, basically, are these companies receiving these private briefings on Kaspersky technology? I, I find it hard to believe that, uh, you know, whether the government says, hey, this is classified, or hey, this is sensitive but unclassified, don't talk about it over electronic means. Right. Uh, changing on antivirus is a hugely expensive proposition, and I just can't fathom that these organizations aren't talking about this stuff over their email as they're changing away from Kaspersky or debating that, uh, you know, the merits of the FBI's claims. And, and I, I kind of stand to say, well, look, if they're doing that, doesn't it then make sense that Kaspersky has what, whatever the FBI's been briefing them anyway? Right? Yeah. Um, I, I you know, if you work in InfoSec, you know people communicate all kinds of stuff over email that they're explicitly told not to. Um, and knowing that uh, and talking about, you know, really what's at stake here and the raw number of people that have been briefed and different organizations that have been briefed, uh, I just can't, you know, I just can't get to that point of thinking that uh, Kaspersky, if they're as bad as the FBI claims, uh, you know, if it's, they really are monitoring, uh, they're certainly in a position to do so in a network. They, they, they're in God mode effectively in the network. Uh, I, I can't fathom that they don't already have this. Uh, regardless, this whole idea of, hey, you know, we need to kick these guys out of, out of your networks or you need to get them out of your networks, trust us, it's bad, is it, a horrible precedent for us to, uh, you know, for us to deal with in cybersecurity. 
No, I, I absolutely agree about that. So coming to the end of our segment, so we're going to have to let you go. Thank you for joining sure us. Enough. You've been listening to Jake Williams' Rendition Security. You can find him on Twitter, at MalwareJake. So it brings us to the end of our show. Uh, I wanted to, again, right, you know, for those of you in Florida and, and Hurricane Irma's past, uh, path, uh, all the best. Stay safe out there. If you haven't already left the area, uh, if you're bunkering down, uh, you know, stay safe. Uh, like I said, wish you the best. Hope to catch you next week. Uh, and hear that uh, you know there's been no damage and everything passed by uneventfully. So uh, again, best wishes to our uh, radio affiliates down there, AM 820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM 1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. So until next week, you've been listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. <laughs>